Our study this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. For this they willingly are ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Do you dare me ask you for a raise of hands? I'll fill those questions at the end of the service. <laughs> I'm online now. You don't want me to fill those on line. I should ask for a show of hands. <clears throat> But I want, but I did ask you to read through the Bible. Oh, no, I guess just the three chapters in Second Peter. In our study of verses 3 and 4 of this third chapter, the last chapter of Second Peter, we saw that we are to make it a principle to be constantly taking in knowledge concerning the false teachers that are to come. Secondly, we saw that there will be mockers in the last days that will conduct themselves operating in the sphere of their own lust, whether it be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, that they will be out to satisfy the lust in their own nature rather than to serve our risen Lord. Thirdly, we saw that they will challenge the very thing that has been promised by our Lord, that which is based on our response, which is the arrival and the continued presence of Christ. And then, fourthly, we saw that they will attempt to persuade you that nothing has changed since the creative act itself. That even during the time of the patriarchs, nothing has changed. That nothing has changed since creation itself. Well, our examination of those verses was that we might be prepared for Peter's explanation then of their willful ignorance that is manifest by the false teachers and as he documents not only what has changed but as he gives us insight into what is going to change in the future. So Peter makes it clear that false teachers who are out to make merchandise of other believers are ignorant by choice and that they have purposely ignored the facts of the past so that they might reject the facts concerning the future. There are those today who are willfully ignorant of the Word of God. It's one thing to be ignorant of the Word of God. It's another thing to be willfully ignorant of the Word of God. Throughout the years of my pastoral ministry, I always found it exciting when I went to a new field to serve. That the people were so excited about learning principles and fundamentals from the Word of God instead of simply hearing the plan of salvation over and over again. But they were excited, but that excitement throughout my ministry usually lasted in each new location about six weeks. And then they wanted to go back to the pablum, to um, the uh, milk for infants. They didn't want to spend that time having to think during the sermon time 
and especially of having to try to follow some kind of study guide uh, along with it. But praise be, there are, in each of those situations where I've served, there are those that were positive to the Word of God and have sought an understanding to understand what God's plan has been in the past, what it is now, and how we fit into that is fundamental. When I went to the church in Monrovia, California, after going through basics, I started on Sunday evening a series on the study of Revelation. And our organist did not show up for the first two Sundays. So I went by their house to find out if there was a problem, and there was. She said, I don't want to hear the book of Revelation. I don't want to hear that Christ could come at any time. I want to live long enough to see my grandchildren grow up and have children. And I don't want to hear about prophecy. And so I'll not be coming back until you finish the book of Revelation. She was pretty true to that, and it took a couple of years to get through the book of Revelation, but when we finished it, she did come back and uh, and attend. But, of course, it wasn't just the book of Revelation. It was the deliberate idea to be ignorant. Someone coined the phrase, I haven't found a chapter, book, and verse for it in the Bible, but someone coined the phrase, ignorance is bliss. And uh, it certainly is dangerous to be ignorant. But to be willfully ignorant is another process involved. So let's look at what the Apostle Peter says then concerning this willful ignorance. He said, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Once again, we have a different word order in the Greek. So, the word order that we're going to follow in our examination this morning is based upon the word order in the Greek text. We mentioned last week that the Apostle Peter was a Galilean, and that Galileans were known for not only only speaking Aramaic, but butchering the grammar and structure of it as well. Uh, I called it an Oklahoma version of Aramaic, because in the Grapes of Wrath, and my, my dad was in that group and his family, in the days of the Grapes of Wrath and the Dust Bowls and all of that that caused that migration from Oklahoma to California, they said you could always tell a rich oaky from a poor oaky. A rich oaky had two mattresses on top of his car, and a poor oaky only had one mattress on the top of his car. But the, the lack of education in those farm areas, the lack of opportunity, my dad was 19 years old and still in the 8th grade. Not because he failed, but because he wasn't there to do the work. And he would have to pick up after the farming season was over and after their trip to California to follow the fruit harvest and then back. Uh, at age 19, he was embarrassed by still being in the 8th grade and he discontinued his school. So he noted he seen it, he heard everything that you had to say about it, and he butchered the language in the process. But God turned that around. I saw that amazing transformation when he surrendered to preach. I said I thought either he had made a mistake, or God had made a mistake, or they had both made a mistake. I had been preaching for two years as a smart aleck kid, and uh, didn't recognize the significance of the spiritual gifting. And so my dad had a, a great ministry, a good ministry for uh, 40 years before the Parkinson uh, 
eliminated him from being able to go to the pulpit. So when I speak of, of an Oklahoma version of Aramaic, it's no reflection upon the fine citizens of Oklahoma. My wife was born in that state as well. And you can see her vocabulary has improved some since that. But uh, the the point I wanted to make is that Peter was writing under the direction and impression of the Holy Spirit. That if you want a legitimate example of the gift of tongues, read the epistle of Second Peter because certainly Peter had no ability within himself, by himself, to convey the message that he has made to us in Second Peter. As a matter of fact, even Bible scholars, uh, uh, many of them, of course, from the liberal side, scoff at the idea that Peter could have written such a thing. But he wrote under inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he points that out, and he makes that that clear. And so the grammatical structure that we find in this text, different than what we have in the English, is the grammatical structure provided by the Holy Spirit, speaking through the pen of the of the apostle to write this epistle. So the word order in the Greek says, for continuing to forget they this, they willingly are ignorant then. That ignorance is identified for us in this first phrase. And so the Greek order that we have is, they continue to forget them, this, making it a principle to continually wish it to be so. The identification that we want to make of the text is that these false teachers, these false prophets are ignorant. And they are ignorant by choice. They have made it a principle. My wife worked for a real estate broker when we were in Monrovia. He was a former preacher, pastor, but he got to making money in real estate and gave up the pastoral ministry. He thought I would do that when I hung my license on his wall and was disappointed that I did not do that. I told him the difference was he simply was a pastor. I was called of God to be a pastor. And he didn't have that calling or God wouldn't let him get away with what he was doing and certainly would not have blessed what he was doing. But he said to me, why do you teach the Word of God in such depth? And I said, so that we might understand it. So that we might be able to relate to it. So that we might sense and understand its application to our life. So we could do it. He said, well, my pastor says his church members already know more Bible than they practice, so he'll not teach new stuff. Well, you're responsible for the practice. I'm responsible for the teaching. And Peter said that these were willfully ignorant. They actually made it a matter of principle to continually be willfully ignorant of what God had revealed. What is it that they purposely chose to forget or wish that it were not so? Peter describes that in the next phrase, that by the Word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Let's look at the order here that the heavens continued, that the heavens continued for a time in the past. The grammar that is used here is the imperfect tense, which identifies that for a continuing period of time, this the heavens continued for a period of time, and then he adds to that, for a long time with the land out of the water 
and uh, through the water itself. For a long time, the earth continued in that state. He says, being held together by the Word, that is, the Word of God. It is the Word that as a matter of principle, in a completed act with continuing effect, held that former world in the order in which it was helped. It is the Word of God. Now when we see that Word, I we looked at it before we saw the word rhema in our study a week ago, two weeks ago now because of Father's Day last week. But we saw the word rhema was the word that we understood, the word that we knew. That was the Greek word rhema. The word that is used here is the word from logos, and it identifies that which has been revealed, but it takes on a personal nature because in the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And it introduces to us then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father as it describes the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in the Gospel of John that the person of the Godhead that enacted this creative act is identified as the Son, the one who became visible to us, the one who became uh, the manifestation of that which God revealed. He is the one that helped the earth in time past in the condition in which it was held. He said, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Through which things the then world order, he says, by means of water as a matter of principle being inundated participated in its own destruction. There was a time when the world, the land stood out of the water, was in the water, and through the, it stuck through the water, and it was in that condition for a time, and uh, then things changed. The world that was then was destroyed. It was the world order that was under attack. And while the physical earth was destroyed by the flood, it was the world order that was being destroyed and was being judged by our Lord. We find that as Peter addresses this, he identifies that the world being overflowed as a matter of principle, being inundated, participated in its own destruction. And the word for world is cosmos. It refers then to the world order, not just physically the earth in its physical form, but the structure of life that was upon the earth is identified by this word cosmos that we have in the text. So the text reads this way. For this they continue to forget, making it a principle to wish it to be so, that heavens continued for a time in the past, for a long time, and land out of water and through the water, having as a matter of principle being held together in a completed act with continuing result, 
by means of the Word, that is, the One of God, through which thing the then world order, by means of water, as a matter of principle, being inundated, participated in its own destruction. Let's look at how that relates then to us and the application that we see in the text. The judgment referred to in our text certainly affected the physical earth, but it was a condemnation of the world system, the cosmos, the world order. Satan is identified in the Bible by God himself as the God of this cosmos, the God of this present world system. And he initiated the angelic infiltration, which resulted then in the Noahic flood. God destroyed the world system, and he restarted it again with eight people, Noah, his wife, their three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and each of them had a wife. With eight people, God reestablished life upon the earth and its world order. But the God of this world system, Satan, according to Second Corinthians 4.4, was able to get another foothold and God is going to have to bring judgment upon the earth again, in which the God of this world order this time will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone for eternity, and this earth will be replaced with an entirely new earth, and Christ Himself will be the God of this new world system. These scoffers, to which Peter has made reference, deny the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they continue, according to the Apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they continue to be willingly ignorant, making it a principle to wish it to be so, concerning the creation and the destruction of the earth by flood. The writer says the heavens continued for a long time with water on the earth and a sphere of water above the earth. It was what environmentalists are scared to death of today. It was a greenhouse in which God cultivated life upon the earth and humanity itself. As we study the scriptures concerning it, God, during the six-day act of creation, separated the waters that were upon the earth from and formed a canopy, really a sphere of water, around the earth, separating the water from the earth with that which was elevated into the atmosphere. And then he caused dry land to appear on the earth with this canopy of water that protected life. It it was a shroud of protection to stop the, the various dangerous uh, and life uh, claiming rays that come from outer space. Uh, and so man lived upon the earth for a long time. God created Adam, and uh, Adam was 930 years old when he died. We have the Methuselah, the old, the man who has, well, the, the record that we have of the oldest uh, liver upon the earth, was a man by the name of Methuselah, and he lived on the earth 996 years. Was it 969 years? That's homework assignment for you. The, uh, uh, the identification science has wrestled with 
trying to determine how they lived longer then than they do now. Uh, as we monitor the biblical account, we find uh, that Methuselah's uh, age of 969 years then is the the peak of age that we have recorded upon the earth. He was the grandfather of Noah, and the day Methuselah died, I, I that's speculation. I better say the year that Methuselah died, the flood came upon the earth. The word Methuselah actually means the end of an age. And I believe that probably the day he died, the flood came. I can't ascertain that, but we can ascertain it was the year that he died. And that age ended. And God let that canopy of water that was above the earth come down upon the earth. And He let the fountains of the deep come up. And the whole earth was covered with water. The Bible says every mountain was covered with water. And... uh, those eight souls were spared. We find that the Scripture tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and spared Noah. But the thing that we overlook was that Noah was righteous and perfect in his genealogy. We miss that. But that was the reason he was spared because it was at that time that the angelic infiltration, the sons of God, the fallen sons of God, the fallen angels, looked upon women and they took them all that they chose to take and they infiltrated the human race with half angel and half human life. And in doing so, they were attempting to defeat the seed of the woman triumphing over Satan, and they were almost successful. They were to the point of eight souls left. A hundred years before, God had pronounced this sentence, and He had instructed Noah to build that ark. And uh, during uh, the building of that ark, uh, uh, it took a hundred years to build it. Then uh, there was the witness of God, but God said when He called Noah out to do this work, He said, The end of flesh is come up before Me, yet His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. In a hundred and twenty years, all of humanity would have been infiltrated with angelic life. And there would be no way the seed of the woman then could compensate for the sin of man and in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Most folks think then that that casual reading that the end of flesh has come up before me, yet his days will be 120 years. Well, there's two very popular concepts of interpretation on that. One is that in 120 years, all of humanity would have been infiltrated. And so God was going to intervene and he would intervene. He would give man 120 years to live before the flood came. But if you do your math, it was only a hundred years. It was twenty years short of the end of all flesh. He had to preserve that. He had to create that, that uh, end and that juncture at that point in order then for the final eight people not to be affected by that infiltration. There are others who said, no, God was saying the span of a man's life is now going to be 120 years. No, He said the end of all flesh has come up before Me, yet His days shall be 120 years. 120 years had to be interrupted and it was at 100 years the flood came and life was preserved in eight souls and the repropagation upon the earth occurred.
The Bible says the span of a man's life 70 years. And uh, yet that can be lengthened, the Bible tells us. You can add days to your life or you can shorten your life with the sin unto death. And so the that span of life is set. The 120 years would be that in 120 years there would no longer be true humanity. And so he cut it off at that point. The environment changed. That canopy of water that was, that surrounded the earth, that protected the earth, that resulted in the long lifespan of man was ended. And if you look in your Bible at the documentation of ages immediately following the fall, you'll find that it progressively moved down. Moving down from that 969 years of Methuselah and moving on down to 120 years on the part of Moses and and others in that general area. 120 years seems to be uh, fairly common, but then the identification that the span of a man's life is 70 years, give or take, depending upon the decisions that he makes. The earth changed. The atmosphere changed as God reestablished life here upon the earth. So the heavens continued for a long time with water on the earth and a sphere of water above the earth. It was a greenhouse environment created by God and designed to sustain life upon the earth. This last week, we had one of the extremists in the environmental areas that one day this last week was five years from the time that environmentalists said if we continue to use fossil fuels on the earth, we will all be dead in five years. Well, even that environmentalist survived the five years without any apology or any update as far as I've heard. So on one hand, we have the environmentalist sounding the alarm. The world is coming to an end. And then at the same time, we have them say, where's the promise of His coming? Why, since the earth began, there's been no change. The structure was designed by God and it remained in force for a long time. It was held together by the Word of God. Having as a matter of principle been held together, the text says, in a completed act with a continuing result by means of the Word That is the one of God. The original world order was destroyed, being inundated by water two times. Now there's much discussion between the Bible scholars and teachers and preachers as to whether the Apostle Peter is referring to original creation or whether he is referring to the Noahic flood. I believe both situations are covered by the context of what we had. But when we go back to the beginning and we read the Hebrew text in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In a moment of time, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we read in verse 2 in our English Bible, and the earth was without form and void. But the Hebrew text says, and the earth became tohu wa bohu, without form and void, an environmental chaotic disaster. Used to, when 
lived in California and you could actually get bags. They bagged your groceries and, and, and put them in bags. Uh, at that time, they would generally say plastic or paper. And my comment continually was plastic. The sooner we pollute it, the sooner he's got to come back. Well, of course, I have no intention of dictating to God when he will come back as though that would have little effect any or any effect upon it. But the earth became an environmental chaotic disaster. Now, we have to get into the Old Testament books to understand, and then the book of Jude brings us up to date and current on that, uh, as well with a few other passages of Scripture. But we understand then that the earth had been created originally by God along with the heavens, and uh, that Satan and his cohorts turned this into their bush garden. They It was their party place for them to hang out in the universe. And they turned it, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, they turned it into an environmental chaotic disorder. And God removed them from the earth and sucked the earth into an ice pack. And we have to get into the Hebrew in the creative act and in the recreation for man in order to understand the detail of that. But that ice probably went up to the end of our present atmosphere, uh, probably 60 miles uh, uh, up in uh, from the crust of the surface of the earth. Uh, based on the terminology that we have in the Hebrew text. How long it was in that ice pack, we are not told. But we are told then in Genesis 1-3, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, is the way your English text reads. But the Hebrew text says, and the Spirit of God brooded or incubated upon the face of the melting ice. God thawed it out. And then in six days that are documented for us, God restored, recreated life upon the earth. So there are some who say this passage with the earth being inundated by water covers the the first period of time before God prepared it for man. Well, the circumstances that are described will fit either situation and seem to fit into the Noahic period uh, with a little greater clarity uh, because the entire earth uh, was covered in both instances uh, by water and uh, that destruction came. So man has seen the change. Said since the the creation of time, nothing has changed. Well, since the creation of the earth in Genesis one one, uh, perhaps billions of years, we have no way of knowing. Uh, with an eternal God, uh, time really did not become a commodity until. He created man and he established the sun and the moon and the seasons and identified the one to rule by day and one to rule by night and then began to set up for us some kind of structure related to time. There's coming a period when time itself will end and we will no longer be affected by that, no longer be observant of it because uh, uh, in the new heaven and the new earth, we will not have a sun, and there will not be that identification any longer of time. But time, the Scripture says, shall be no more. Time's just a segment of eternity that God marked out a beginning for it and an ending for it. 
He created it for man. He's not bound by it for himself. But that infiltration of the angels, the fallen angels, uh, was almost complete. But God spared out a man whose genealogy was pure. There was no angelic infiltration in Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives. And he reestablishes life upon the earth. Peter points out that the world order participated in its own destruction. The word perished, apoleta, identifies the statement that it participated in its own destruction. And of course, that would affect either the original creation or the Noahic period of time because uh, uh, the satanic forces, Satan and his cohorts, are the adversaries. They are the the ones who perpetuate uh, that world order. When God recreated the earth, and in those six days prepared it for man, and on that sixth day He He brought man to it and gave man. Uh, charge and dominion over it, he had the authority. He was told to go forth and to subdue it, which indicates there was a evil presence always already there, and to have dominion over it, but instead he sold out to Satan in the Garden of Eden, and as a result, Satan then is identified as the God of this age. God stopped the infiltration. Those angels that infiltrated humanity are bound right now. We saw in our study of the uh, end times that they are bound right now in the bottomless pit. And that during the last seven years before Christ comes, that period of time we call the tribulation, the last three and a half years of that, these fallen angels that cohabited with women are going to be released and they're going to wreak havoc upon the earth. This is uh, the the God of this age uh, has blinded the eyes of those who have willingly become ignorant of the plan that God has revealed. So Peter warns, look out scoffers. And although God established a covenant with all flesh that He would never again destroy all flesh by water, He has an agenda for this present world as we know it today. He said never again would He destroy the earth and its inhabitants by water. Twice He did that. But not again will he do that. Now that may be good news, but on the other hand, it's more final than the Noahic flood, more final than the original uh, sucking in of the earth into an ice pack because this heaven and this earth are going to melt with a fervent heat and be no more. They're going to be completely dissolved. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7 that we will be getting to in our next study, Peter says, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and of perdition of ungodly Man. In the meantime, Peter has said that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And he has identified us as sojourners. A sojourner, as we have repeatedly seen, and I will continue to repeat till the end of time, a sojourner is a foreigner not living in his own country but living alongside the locals uh, 
in order to do business for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are foreigners. As a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have established a new citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are left here as sojourners, as representatives. He calls us ambassadors for Christ. He identifies that we are strangers and pilgrims. He identifies that our work is that of a steward and of a servant. That we are husbandmen for the very kingdom of God. And so we are left here to do that work. And as we do that, and the world becomes more estranged from God, it will achieve that because there are those who choose to be willingly ignorant of the Word of God. Uh, I've been told time and again throughout my years of ministry, well, I wanted to come to church. I didn't want to come to a seminary. Well, church is designed by God to be a seminary. And uh, it is it is structured in the New Testament for us so that we can become equipped to be the sojourners that we need to be and uh, have the tools and the resources that we need. I received a text from Sharon last night saying that she and Tom would not be in the service today. They were meeting with a group of those who had come out of the cult that they were involved in a number of years ago. And they're, they're meeting together as a group to try to support one another with some of the repercussions and effects of what went on in that cult environment. Now, they've been out of that for a long time, but still affected by it. And so they are meeting today, today because some are going through some some times of stress relative to that and uh, providing support. Our role as born-again children of God is to support one another and to live out the design that has been defined for us by our particular spiritual gift or combination of spiritual gifts. There are nine that are identified in Scripture that continue to operate in our day that we are to be involved in and we have at least one of those, uh, usually or oftentimes a combination of those. The gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of word of knowledge, and the gift of word of wisdom, the gift of mercy, or the gift of giving. These are unique abilities that are given to each of us on the basis of God's design and purpose for our lives that we might live them out. Mine's easy. It was, I identified it when I was nine years old and understood what God wanted. It was a process of growing in that. And when I was pastoring a church in Chowchilla, California, I was an evangelist. I wanted to to be an evangelist. As a matter of fact, some of you have heard me say I went to the Southern Baptist uh, Evangelistic Conference in January before I went to the church in Chowchilla in February. In January... I booked 37 consecutive weeks of revival meetings in churches in the state of California. In two days, I booked 37 weeks of evangelistic campaigns beginning three weeks from that week and continuing for 37 weeks. Unheard of to be able to book that many uh, meetings and consecutive meetings in two days. It had to be of God, but it wasn't. No. 
And a week later, I was pastor of a church at Chowchilla, California, a church that had had 27 pastors in 16 years. And no pastor had ever left of his own will. They were all fired. 27 pastors fired in 16 years. I stayed seven years and they're still mad at me because I got out before they got to fire me. Matter of fact, they talked about hiring me back so they could fire me. But I found that I couldn't just keep preaching the plan of salvation to the same 37 people that were there for the first couple of months in that church. They had been saved and I couldn't just preach against sin. I had to deal with the issues and it was there that I saw that God's gifting was not just a preacher, but it was a pastor teacher and to teach the Word of God. You have a gift that is unique to you and unique to the those that you contact with day by day and we need to be active in that service. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes under righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the beginning of a journey. And as sojourners, we're foreigners, and we are to represent our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Now, here in the United States, we have a unique situation in that we have a dual citizenship because we have a citizenship here as people uh, in the United States of America but our primary home and citizenship is in heaven. So we have to find that balance. And uh, we don't find the balance by putting all the weight upon the life that we live here in relationship to the government that we live in here. I've received a, an invite this week to uh, head up, uh, become a director for the movement of a, a convention of states to try to bring our nation back in order. I don't have time for that. My mission is different than that. I, yes, I am a citizen, and yes, I uh, am interested in that, and yes, I think we need uh, to really consider uh, whatever means is necessary to bring us back to the fundamentals that were established to give us this nation. But my priority is I'm a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is far away upon the golden strand. Ambassadors to be of realms beyond the sea. I'm here on business for my king. That's the first song I memorized as a boy nine years old in the church. 